your Bibles, you could join us there, 1 John chapter 5. And we're going to be looking at verses 16 to 21. And again, we tried to finish this last week, and I had a little bit of a dilemma. You know, I got close, I can say, last Sunday, and then I thought, well, maybe I'll just podcast about the rest. You know, the last part of 1 John is kind of tricky anyways. No one really wants to preach about that part. So why don't I just podcast about it and get it done? And then the Spirit of God kind of said to me, Todd, you need to finish. You need to finish. Are you the spirit? <laughs> Maybe it was Dave. <laughs> calling me, calling me over and over. Anyways, so we're going to give it its due diligence. We're going to study the end of 1 John, verses 16 to 21 today. And last time we talked about being convinced about Jesus Christ. So we're going to come out of that study. It's going to be hopefully really powerful today. But did you ever have to prove yourself? Did you ever have to prove yourself? For some reason. Or, how about this? Did you ever fail to prove yourself? I did once. Can I share a little story? Um, in my early 20s, I share a lot of stories from my early 20s. This is an adventurous time. Uh, in my early 20s, I was dating this young lady that I met at, at school here at Clarkson University. And I guess it was going well enough that she decided to invite me to her parents' house for the weekend. She lived in New Jersey. It wasn't going to be that far away. It was a couple-hour drive. And so I, of course, was nervous about this, going, oh, no, here we go. But going, okay, you know, I'm pretty good with people. How bad can this go? Well, anytime you're invited home, over for the parents' house, I feel like you're a little bit under a microscope, right? Mm -hmm. Who is this guy trying to, you know, steal my daughter away from me? And I had that feel going in, not knowing how I was going to have to prove myself. But this actually happened. Um, a little meet the parents here thing. So I went to her house for, in, in uh, New Jersey for the weekend, and it started out pretty smooth. You know, met her parents. You know, I'm an outgoing guy. can handle that pretty well. But uh, met those guys, and I felt like the dad immediately was sizing me up. I just had this feeling like, who's this guy? Who's this slacker? I think he's going to steal my daughter away from me. And so there were a couple instances during that weekend that I had to sort of prove myself. Now, not knowing that was the case during this. I thought I was just going to come and enjoy the weekend. But I feel like the, uh, get the microscope was on me and I had to prove myself. The first instance that I had to prove myself is this family was an Italian family. Any Italians in the audience? Okay. So the, <laughs> big Italian family, loved, loved pasta, things like that. So the first thing we did that night is we had a meal together. And I love pasta. I'm a big pasta fan, even though I'm not Italian. So I had no problem with that, going, yeah, let's bring it out. Let's eat. Well, they had one of these families that uh, you don't dish up your own food. They kind of dish it up for you. And um, I was set in front of me the biggest plate of pasta I had ever laid eyes on. And I'm immediately worried, going, oh, no. It was spaghetti or something. It looked delicious. But it was like, I would not have chosen that much food. But everybody had sizable plates. So mine didn't look out of the ordinary, but I still felt like, oh boy, I have to finish this. So I began to eat and talk and eat and talk and eat and eat. And I, I hit a wall. Somewhere around halfway through my plate, I hit a wall I could not get over, or it was going to get dangerous. So I basically had to just go, oh, you know what? I, I'm not really that hungry. I'm not going to be able to finish it. And everybody had cleaned their plates. And I felt like the dad was looking at me like, see, I told you. I told you about this guy, not really a man, can't finish his pasta. Failed test number one. Couldn't finish the big plate of pasta. But test number two, she had this like young brother. He was probably half her age. and He had some social issues, things like that. But 
I think test number two is how I was going to deal and, and uh, have dealings with her younger brother. But I'm really good at kids, so I nailed this test. This kid and me got along great. I was playing with him, and I felt like she was standing next to her mother going, see how good he is with kids? He's going to knock it out of the park someday, which I do, just with my own kids. <laughs> but test number two went a lot better. I feel like I tied the score 1-1, okay? I'm doing okay. I couldn't finish the pasta, but I played with the kid. Things are going well. And then test number three came. <laughs> we went to visit her dad at his place of work, and he was in trucking or something like that, and... Um, he was the CEO. I think actually, I think it was landscaping now that I remember. But he was into this, had his own business, had his own thing that he was doing. And we were just going to go visit him and see his place of work. And I thought, you know, nothing big is going to happen here. Well, the dad, which again, I think, I don't think he liked me for whatever reason, came up to me and said, Todd, don't you sell TVs for a living? And I said, yeah, I work at Best Buy. He goes, yeah, yeah, I have this satellite dish that needs to be put together. And uh, you sell TVs for a living, so this should be no problem for you. And I was like, what? How did the two go together? I sell TVs. But he's like, yeah, yeah, just put, why don't you put the satellite dish together and just, you know, when you're done, just let me know. And I'm like, uh, yeah, 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 let's do it. So he puts like three or four boxes, big boxes in front of me, and he and the daughter leave. And I'm left alone with these boxes going, oh, oh, here we go. <laughs> So I'm like, well, let's, let's try this thing. So I open up all the boxes somewhere. I find the instructions in there, and I start to sort of attach things to other things. And it's not like an Ikea piece of furniture. It was an intense, complex satellite dish. And I start realizing, kind of like the pasta, this is not going to go well. I'm not going to be able to finish this. So after putting about like three pieces together, I finally went up to the guy, and I said, yeah, I think you're going to need someone professional to do this for you. And he's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I get it. No, don't worry about it, Todd. I'll just do it on my lunch break or something like that. No big deal. So you can't put the satellite together, can you? I was like, no. Failed test number three. I was down. I was down the count then. It was like I, the weekend finished up, you know, it was like whatever. I get back home. Three or four days go by. I get a call from the daughter. I think we should see other people. Ouch. Failed the test. That didn't go well. Had to prove myself and wasn't able to prove myself, but um, the Lord had better things for all of us, apparently. Anyways, did you ever have to prove yourself? We're going to look at John's final test today. We've been looking at several validations, several tests, haven't we, through the book of 1 John. And we're going to look at the last one here John has for us, and it's a little tricky, I'm not going to lie. It's, it's one of those passages, as if I could have dodged, I would have dodged it. But the Spirit has it for us, so why don't we look at it now. Direct your attention to 1 John 5, verses 16 to 21. And this is what it says, hear the word of God. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. We're going to look at John's final test today. Although it's John's final test, it's cumulative, which means if we pass this test, we pass them all. Kind of like a final exam, right? You ever have a final exam? 
it's cumulative. They build up. The last exam is sort of having to prove that you've learned along the way what the class is supposed to teach you. Well, that's basically what John's final test for us is here today. If we can pass this last test, we're doing well. And here's the things, once again, we're seeking to find out. There are several things we're seeking to find out. Here's three that John is going to find out today. The first one is, are we born of God? Are we born of God? That's the first thing we want to make sure that is true about us. The second thing goes along with it. Are we devoted to following the Lord Jesus Christ? It's essential. It's crucial to being born of God. It's essential and crucial for the next thing, which is being ready for the day of judgment. Because John has taken us through all of these tests so as to prepare us for the final day. Because the tests are a little uncomfortable, right? Tests are that way. They're a little bit uncomfortable to take. But they're there to help you, and that's what these tests are here to do. So these three things are where John is hopefully going to take us today so we can confirm and validate that those things are a reality. And we have to be very, very careful here because eternal life is at stake. Eternal life is at stake here today. So once again, we cannot leave this to chance. We cannot gamble with our eternal soul, can we? We have to know, we have to be sure that we actually are ready to meet God at the day of judgment. And it's good for us to put our souls through rigorous testing. It really is. It's good. Because we want to be fully prepared to meet Christ on the last day. We want to be ready. We want to be, as the John has brought out, confident of the last day. And I hope that you are. I hope that if you're not yet, I hope that you find that by the end of today, is that you can be confident. Because I think this life here that we have on this earth is a practice for the kingdom of God. It's a preparation. It's a practice for the coming day when we will enter the kingdom of God. And that entire kingdom is about pleasing, loving, and serving God. Well, isn't this life that way as also? The only problem here in this life is we have a lot of obstacles, don't we? We have a lot of pain, a lot of uphill things, and in heaven we won't. So this test, this life we have here on this earth is a practice. Anyone ever played or practiced basketball or any sport like that? Really, the practice isn't the fun part, is it? It's the game. But here's the thing about sports. If you can't make the shots in practice, you're certainly not going to make them in the game either. Are you? Practice is necessary to prepare you for the game because the game is harder and more challenging. And practicing will help you do that. So that's really what this life is about. But it's also, I believe, about packing our bags, getting our bags packed. Anyone ever go on a long journey? Okay, two weeks, something like that. It takes a while to prepare for that, doesn't it? To ready your things, to pack your bags. I don't know if any of you were like me when you pack. I like to pack the morning of. And I know that's incredibly silly. Janine makes fun of me for that. But I'm like, you know what? I'll have my best, my most bearings right as we leave. Like 10 minutes before, I will gather all my stuff. I'll be ready to go. And Janine makes fun of me because she gets ready for like two to three days. Um, but I like to pack the morning of, and sometimes that doesn't go well. But when you're traveling on this earth, it doesn't matter, right? It's not a big deal if you forget something, generally speaking. You can live without it. You can buy something new. But if we're not ready for the other side, if we're not ready for the kingdom of God, that's a very, very big deal. And you and I have to be able to say our bags are packed. We're ready to go whenever the Lord decides to come back. And I think that's what this last test is about, is getting ready, packing your bags. So let's go to the most confusing part of this passage, 
which is verses 16 to 18. Listen to what it says. If anyone sees his brother not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is a sin that leads to death, and I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Can someone shout out, oh, what has been the theme and direction and intent of 1 John? There's two answers that I could accept. Does anyone want to guess what is the theme and direction of the entire book of 1 John before it comes up on the screen? Love. Love. Isn't that been our theme in our series? Love to love. But you know what? As I studied 1 John, another theme surfaced. Confidence. Have you noticed that? That's something that I didn't foresee as I looked into the book of 1 John. I saw love because love was everywhere. But as I've studied 1 John, I almost wanted to change the theme. Because confidence is all over 1 John. So you have to remember that, even when we talk about this tricky passage here, that the theme, the intent, the direction is about love and it's about confidence. John desires that you and I get confidence from passing these tests of validation. Once again, to prove that we're of God and of his son, Jesus Christ. So although there's a temptation to make this sermon its own direction and to get off course a little bit and just preach something new, I think we need to keep it in context. I think we need to remember the direction John has been going these five chapters. John wants life for all of us. Do you know that? And so does God, most importantly. He wants life for our souls. He wants us to have confidence that when we stand before him, we're not in our sins, but we're in his son. So all of these things, even the tricky things, are about life and confidence. And to me, that brings me a lot of hope. But I think there's two ways to look at this passage that we just mentioned that I think they would be proper. I think both would be proper. Actually, I saw commentaries saying it could be either or. And I'm going to lay these two things before you that, uh, that could be what John is trying to get out here. Number one, I think there are some sins that lead to death on earth, such as murder, things like that. And we should let the consequences of these types of sins play out because justice is good. Justice is good. We've got to remember that in the Christian life. Justice is a good thing. It's not good when justice is avoided, is it? We don't like injustice. We don't like when there's a corrupt justice system, do we? We like justice, and we like that because God likes justice. And so the first thing we can see from this passage is that it's good that there's consequences for wrongdoing. Things like murder. Sure, it might, a murderer might be someone you love. It might be someone you're close to. And you may want them to avoid the penalty of their crime. But I think we can see from Scripture that sin has consequences, doesn't it? And even in our justice system, if someone commits murder, they could be sent away for life or they could be executed. And uh, even with my own children, I have to explain to my children, I'm a forgiving person, I want to forgive them, I want to help them, but sin has consequences. When they lie directly to my face, I can't just go, ah, no big deal, can I? I have to tell them that sin has consequences. So the first thing John could be saying to us is that he's given us a warning to let sin and the consequences of sin on earth play out and to not pray them away. 
to say, yes, I know they're evil. Yes, I know that was corrupt. I know that was wicked. But I hope no consequences come to me or to my loved ones. Because I don't think that would be good. But perhaps there's, there's an application from this text that's more in line with the context of the passage. And this is the second one I'm going to lay before you. Is that there are some sins that do not lead to death, John says. They don't lead to death. Now, he doesn't lay before us what those sins are. He doesn't specify, oh, it's this sin, so if you do that, no big deal. He doesn't do that on purpose, because if we saw a list of sins that didn't lead to death, we would have a lot of confidence doing those things, wouldn't we? And John doesn't want us to do any sort of sins, but he does say to us there's a sin that does not lead to death. And the death that I see through Scripture, spiritually, would be ultimate disbelief and abandonment of Jesus. There are some sins that do not lead to that. Disbelief and ultimate abandonment of the Lord Jesus Christ. And John is saying in this text, when we see those sins, if we see those sins, you know what we should pray for? Forgiveness. Restoration for our brothers and sisters. If we see a sin that does not lead to ultimate disbelief and abandonment of Christ, John is saying pray. Pray that that person is restored. Pray that that person is forgiven. Pray that that person doesn't face the consequences because of Christ. And that's interesting. And I don't know entirely what to do with that because John doesn't tell us what those sins are. But some sins simply need to be forgiven. And isn't that the case with you? If someone speaks against you and miss, you know, missteps with their language and things like that, if it's an ongoing pattern, probably that person needs to be confronted, don't they? But if someone just slips with their language or does something in a moment that hurts you, you know what that person probably needs? Forgiveness. They probably just need for you to forgive them and move past it. But if it's an ongoing pattern, that's we're going to look at here in a minute, that's a different case. Because John says in the passage, there are sins that do lead to death. And although they're not in the text, I see these in Scripture, and I want to spend a couple times looking at these things, a couple moments looking at what these categories of sins would be that do lead to disbelief and do lead to abandonment of Christ. And the first one is enslaving sins. Enslaving sins like idolatry. Does that lead to abandonment of Christ? You bet. Absolutely. I mean, it starts and ends with abandonment of Christ. Idolatry is not a sin that you can just go, oh, whatever, so they're worshiping idols. I pray they find forgiveness. No, they don't need just forgiveness, do they? They need to stop. That's another one. Idolatry. Here's another one. Sexual immorality. Isn't sexual immorality an enslaving sin? I can tell you it is. Because I've been in it myself, and I've been 10 years with young men, and I've seen sins that are so enslaving, these men cannot stop doing them. That is a sin that ultimately will lead to death. Here's another one. Covetousness. Because Paul says... Covetousness is idolatry. They're the same thing. So covetousness would be in there. Anger would be in there. There's several others. And I don't want you to take my word for it. So I'm going to put a passage of scripture up here for you. In fact, I put several up there for you, but I want to highlight one of them. And it comes from Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 to 21. Listen to what Paul says. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. 
I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Isn't that sobering? Isn't that a sobering thing to hear? It's not just Galatians, though. If you look on your sheet, it's Matthew 5, where Jesus says, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better for you to go to heaven with one eye than hell with both eyes. In Ephesians, it says very similar language to Galatians. In Colossians, it says very similar language to Galatians. It's a sobering warning that enslaving sins do lead to death. And we're going to look at that enslaving sins do not line up with being a true, authentic Christian. In other words, you cannot be confident about heaven if you're sinning in a lifestyle sin like one of these. And that's sobering. And again, that's something I would have loved to have dodged if I could, but I don't think I can. Because these sins do not characterize the true follower of Jesus. Wouldn't you agree with that? These sins do not characterize somebody who is following and treasuring Jesus Christ. And we need to remember that the wages of sin is death, isn't it? But that's not the end of the story. Aren't you thankful for that? That the wages of sin is death, but there's a but after that? The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Because Jesus can save anyone from any sin. Do you agree with that? Do you believe that today? Any sin, even these types of sins, cannot the Lord Jesus Christ save a person who struggles with those things? I know that he can because he saved me. And I want you to highlight that today, that the wages of sin is death, but there's a Savior. There's a person who can save you from that. And you and I must be saved not just from the penalty of sin, but from the sin. We have to be saved from the enslaving sin that seeks to take us to hell. We have to be removed from that. And I'm going to tell you today, I was one of these people who struggled with an enslaving sin and called myself a Christian. And the Spirit came to me in my mid-20s and said, Todd, that cannot be. You're saying, I saved you. I healed you. I restored you. Why are you acting like an animal, Todd? Why are you abusing my people? If I've saved you, shouldn't there be something new? Shouldn't there be new habits and new practices? It's a maturation process, but there should be newness in our souls. And I was still enslaved to a sin. And that's the first thing I think we need to understand today, that there is a sin that leads to death. And we're going to look at another one here that goes along with that. And B is unbelief. Simple unbelief. Anyone who rejects and doesn't believe in Jesus is going to be damned. Because we know John 3.16, don't we? We love John 3.16. But only two verses after this, this is what John says, two verses after this, whoever believes in him is not condemned, thankfully. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Doesn't disbelief lead to death? It does. It clearly does in Scripture. We cannot practice unbelief either and be confident about heaven. And I guess I'd add a third one in there that you see from 1 John, not walking in love. I think not walking in love leads to death because walking in love is the main primary proof of the Christian. That if you and I do not have the evidence of walking in love, we should be concerned. But I don't want to linger here too long, but I do need to mention these things because we have to understand what John is talking about today. 
John is saying that if we, if we practice these type of sins, enslaving sins and unbelief, that we shouldn't pray for the penalty to be avoided. We shouldn't pray that the person who sins habitually, willfully, over and over should just find forgiveness on the last day, nor the person who struggles with unbelief. I don't believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I don't believe he's the Messiah. Well, I just pray you find forgiveness from that on the last day. Wrong. That's not what we see in Scripture. It's impossible to practice these type of sins and find on the last day that you're a child of God, an inheritor of the kingdom of God. And I think the first thing we see from John, even in chapter 1, is God is light. God is light, that only leaving our sin is life. God does not wink at sin. He does not sweep sin under the carpet. Sin has to be paid for and sin has to be repented of. And we're going to look at that here in a minute. And the second thing I think is the reason is because it wouldn't be glorifying to God. It wouldn't be glorifying to God for us to spend our entire lives hurting him and hurting his people. And then for our loved ones to pray that we avoid the penalty that comes along with that. Because God is light and God detests wickedness. And I see that all over scripture. And I need to mention that today. Because God will never lower his standard on sin, will he? Ever. When Jesus Christ stepped into the place of sinner, you know what happened? He died. Jesus died because he was the sinner at that moment. Jesus did not lower his standard by sending Jesus to this earth. God did not, excuse me. But Jesus took our penalty. And so what we see in scripture is we need forgiveness and repentance through the blood of Christ. For the only thing that awaits us is death. If we don't find forgiveness and repentance through Christ, the only thing that awaits us is death. Therefore, I think what John is saying, any prayers in the direction of what we just mentioned would be a fool's errand. It would be hurtful to God and God's character. That's not the end of the story, is it? Because we should pray for people like that. We should pray for ourselves if we're in that category. And you know what we should pray for? Repentance. Repentance. And remember we talked about repentance. Repentance is recognizing I am going the wrong way. Like I've mentioned, I've done this on the highway. I got on north when I needed to go south. And you could just drive and just hope you get to your destination, right? But that was foolish. What you need to do is you need to recognize you're going the wrong way, get off that road, and start going the right way. And that's exactly what I believe John is saying we should pray for. With people who are in enslaving sins and people who are still in unbelief, we need to pray for Christ to come into their soul and for them to get off that sinful path and begin following him. And I think that perfectly lines up with all of 1 John. Because John has been talking about validations and tests of how we know we are who we think we are. Enslaving sins does not prove you're a Christian. Unbelief does not prove that you're a Christian. Godliness does. Holiness does. Love does. But I need to emphasize this today, that life is still possible for every single soul, including the worst sinners in this world. There's still a chance for repentance. There's still a chance for life. And I think, again, this lines up perfectly with what John is trying to say that if you and I don't believe, we won't be confident about eternal life, will we? And he wants confidence. John wants confidence. Disbelief does not lead to confidence. Nor does practicing, practicing a sinful lifestyle. 
If we're practicing a sinful lifestyle, we also shouldn't be confident about eternal life. Because what we just read, actually what Paul just read from 1 John 3, is whoever practices sin is of the devil. And the person who practices righteousness is of Christ. It's heavy, right? It's sobering to think about that. But again, you have to understand, John wants confidence. He wants confidence. And so he's going to root out or use the scalpel here to remove anything that would remove confidence from our soul. Unbelief, enslaving sins, the lack of love would all remove confidence. It should remove confidence. And therefore, John is going to do what's hard, and he's going to tell us that these things have to be removed. Willful, ongoing sin and disbelief destroys our confidence. If you and I are practicing that today, we need to be very careful calling ourselves Christians. And I hate saying it. I even hate hearing it. I had to go through 1 John before you did. Um, But God wants us to know that. We can't be who we think we are while we're practicing things that God considers evil. Those things have to be forgiven. They have to be repented of. They have to be washed in the blood of Christ. And they can be. And that's why we're going to continue this sermon and not put a period there and dismiss you all. Let us remember that the intent of 1 John is for us to find confidence. Confidence. And I know that seems like it doesn't go with what we just said, but it does. And we're going to show you how. See, the devil continually tries to draw people into habitual, ongoing sin. He does. He tries to draw every single one of us into those enslaving type of sins. Because when we do, we don't have the confidence. We're not on the right path. And that is removed. But John says in 18b, let's look at it here. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. There's the truth that we just mentioned. But he who was born of God protects him. And the evil one does not touch him. Aren't you thankful for those verses? I am. I'm thankful that 18 is in this passage as well. And I want you to do with me right now. I want you to consider how much the Lord must protect his children from the devil's schemes every single day. Real Christians. Real, authentic Christians. How much does the Lord protect you and I from the devil every single day? I want you to work through a list with me quickly. Do we live in a sin-cursed world? I've seen a lot of nodding. Good, you got that one right. Yes, we live in a sin-cursed world. Okay? That's bad thing number one. Bad thing number two, is the entire world going in an opposite direction than the Christians? And that's a lot of people, right? Going opposite than the way we are supposed to go. Everyone is going that way. That's number two. Third thing against us is, are we weak people? Are you and I apt to fall and to wander from the Lord? I will say I am. That's the third thing that's against us. Fourth thing that is against us, is the devil crafty? Has he been around for countless generations? He has. He knows what he's doing. That's the fourth thing that is against us as Christians. Number five, does the world tempt us from time to time, if we were honest? It does. Five things that are against us every single day of our lives. If that is true, if that's a reality, why haven't we abandoned the path of Christ yet? Why? Why haven't I? Why haven't you? Why haven't we abandoned the path of Christ if all of those things are against us every single day? And it's quite simple, the answer to that. 
not over Jesus' dead body. Jesus gave his life. He spilled his blood, not over his dead body. Will you and I perish? Will the devil be able to scoop in and grab those who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ and pull them back to his team? It's not going to happen. God's people will not be allowed to be harmed by the devil, not fatally. Not fatally. See, God is a good father, isn't he? Isn't God a good father? A powerful, good, protecting father. Jesus is a good shepherd, isn't he? He's good, he's careful, he's watchful. He's very, very good, and he watches out for us every single moment of our lives. Isn't the Holy Spirit a good helper? We have three really good and really powerful allies helping us every single day because ongoing sin would destroy even the Christian because the wages of sin is death. But God protects us from destruction. Doesn't he? Doesn't God keep us every single day of our lives? If God doesn't keep us, aren't we doomed? Won't we go back to the world? Won't we go back to the devil? We will. But God protects us. And I know this because I'm a father of five. I know what it's like to be a good father or try to be a good father and watch out for things that are trying to hurt my children, people. Or just random things like little corners of little things on the wall that jut out. And as a father, I see how clumsy my children are. And I realize, you know, something needs to be put on that corner. Let's put something rubber on that corner. Because when Adelaide's running and she trips headfirst into that corner, I don't want her to hit wall or concrete. So let's put something rubber on that so that when she falls, and she did, um, she hits something soft that doesn't do something really damaging to her skull. But I'm not as good as God. When God looks out for his children, he looks out for us every single moment of our lives. Because you and I can misstep. You and I can be tempted. The devil is crafty. And the Lord keeps us from destruction. And I want to show you this. I know you know this passage. But Romans 8, 38 to 39 is one of the best passages in the entire scripture. Listen to what he says here. I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. As if to say to the devil, try your best. It's not going to happen. The Lord will not let any of his truly redeemed be destroyed. An ongoing sin and disbelief would destroy us. But God keeps us. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome that God does that for us? I mean, I rest on my pillow and comfort because of passages like that. Because I'm apt to fall, I'm apt to wander, even a pastor. And I think if we believe that today, then we should do three things. We should praise the Lord for keeping us from evil every single day. Let that be on your lips today. Lord, thank you. Lord, I praise you. Lord, where would I be without you? Thank you for keeping me. But number two, I don't want to remove us from this hard truth. We should never use a doctrine like this to think that we can wink or flirt with sin can't. Sin is deadly. Sin is deadly. Don't look at this and go, oh, God's going to keep me? I could just jump right off the cliff then. He'll have to. 
Remember, didn't Satan say something like that to Jesus Christ? Why didn't you just launch yourself off this temple and the angels would come, have to come to protect you? And Jesus says, I don't live by that. I live by the words of God. That's how he protects me. He protects me by my listening to his words. So don't let this kind of doctrine, uh, let us lessen the stance God has against sin. And then number three, if you and I are allowed to practice sin in our lives and get away with it, if you will, that's not God's grace. God's grace is when he pulls us out of the sin, not when he winks at it and says, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's not going to kill you. That's not God's grace. I think that's the beginning of his judgment. Because I've experienced a time like that in my life where I could not get out of sin. I could not stop sinning. And I honestly thought, well, good thing God is gracious. It's a good thing God is forgiving because I'm sinning a lot here. No, God's grace is when he pulls us out of the sin and sets us on dry land. Not letting us continue in sin is a profound evidence of God's fatherly love for us. And I want to ask you a question, those who have children or have had children. Did you discipline your children? Did you discipline your children when they they went in error so they didn't continue on a dangerous path? I do. Did you? Do you discipline your own children? God does that for his true children. Can you go to a passage with me quick? It's Hebrews 12, 5 to 11. I want to show you what the grace of God looks like. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 to 11. You guys have heard this before, I'm sure. But listen to what it says in verse 5. Have you not forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. Do you see the validation there? If God disciplines you, he loves you. That's an evidence of his love. Verse 7 says, It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. I love that. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I'm going to include verses 12 and 13 here. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness of without which no one will see the Lord. Do you see the grace of God in there? God disciplines us so that we do not perish. God's discipline keeps us from the ledge. And if God doesn't discipline us, according to Hebrews 12, we aren't his children. We aren't his sons and daughters. If we're allowed to sin and get away with sin, and there's no chastisement from God, there's no discipline from God, You should worry because that's not God's grace. That's the beginning of his judgment. But if you and I do endure discipline, if we do have to hear hard things from Scripture, if God does have to slap our hands spiritually, then we know his love. Does that make sense? That's how God keeps his children from destruction. 
So John goes on. John goes on, and hopefully we have time to finish here because I'm really going to try. John reminds us once again that Jesus is the true God and is eternal life. I love that phrase. He's the true God and he's eternal life. Jesus takes off both of those things. See, we've looked at from the first John, we've looked at the testimony of John, his firsthand witness of Jesus. John said in chapter 1, I was there, I saw Jesus, I heard Jesus, I saw his teaching, I saw his miracles, I saw him die, I saw him after he was dead, I saw him go back to heaven. I am a first-hand witness of the testimony of Jesus Christ. But we also looked at, number two, the testimony of Jesus without, with, within our own souls and the countless saints who have stayed devoted to him their entire lives. That's testimony number two. Do you have testimony of Jesus within your soul? Is he, is he true? Is he authentic? Do you believe Jesus in your soul today? If so, you're another testimony of Jesus being the Son of God and being the eternal life. But you know what we also looked at one or two weeks ago? We looked at God's testimony of Jesus, who is incapable of lying. When God says, my son is eternal life, he is no matter what we say. He is no matter what anyone tries to tell us. If God says, my son is everything, he's eternal life. If you find him, you find everything. If you miss out on Jesus, you miss out on everything. Then we had better listen, right? We had better listen. Because God's testimony trumps my testimony of Jesus. God's testimony trumps John's first-hand testimony of Jesus. Because God cannot lie. If he says Jesus is the Son of God, Jesus is the Son of God. If he says Jesus is eternal life, Jesus is eternal life. It cements who Jesus is and the absolute necessity to follow Christ with our lives. And if you look through the pages of Scripture, God stresses the importance of Jesus everywhere. Every page, every book, everywhere you find God stressing the importance of of Christ Jesus, as if to say, don't miss this one. You can miss certain things in Scripture and still be healthy, but you cannot miss Jesus Christ and be healthy, can you? But John says that Jesus is eternal life. He is eternal life. As if to say, knowing Jesus is having eternal life within our souls. In other words, those who follow Jesus Christ has eternal life already. Eternal life has already begun for you and I. Jesus isn't a good part of eternal life, right? He's not the best part of eternal life. He is eternal life. Having Jesus is having eternal life. And I hope I don't have to convince you of that again. Because you know Jesus. You've experienced Jesus. Without Jesus, where would you be today? But the fact that Jesus is eternal life means, I love this, and I want to reflect on this a little bit. The fact that Jesus is eternal life means there's no possibility of exaggerating Jesus or giving him too much of us. None. No exaggeration. No giving Jesus too much, right? You've heard the phrase, everything in moderation, right? Everything in moderation. I found a report just recently that said you can actually drink too much water. Did you know that? If you drink too much water, you could be in danger. Even water. Be careful how much you drink. I don't know what the limit is. But even water can be dangerous for you if you drink it too often, too much. Not Christ. 
not Christ. The more you give, the richer you get. Isn't that amazing? That if you give Jesus higher, greater, more, everything, you get richer and richer and richer. And I want to say to you today, come on! Invest. Give him. Follow him. Go greater. Go higher. Go better than you are right now because the more Christ, the better. The only error you and I could ever make is holding back from Jesus. The ones who give Jesus the most are the wisest, the richest people in the entire world. Do you know that? Do you believe that today? And I understand, as I said before, that the path we're on now is a hard one. It is a hard one, right? The Christian life is a hard path. It's full of trials. It's full of obstacles. But I want to give you a perspective here today that I hope will help you. The very fact that we're on the path of pain is proof of what awaits us, eternal life. And we need to change our perspective on that today. That although pain is hard and pain is difficult, and I don't look for pain, the fact that I suffer for Christ's sake is a validation in itself. Because why would I suffer unless I truly belong to him? Why would I suffer unless I was a kingdom of heaven recipient? You guys ever had uh, good things that brought a little bit of pain? Spicy food, anybody? Any spicy food fans out there? Okay, okay, we got a couple. Spicy food fans, right? There's a little bit of pain, but it's kind of good pain, you know? A little bit. You don't want to go too crazy. But spicy food, what about scary movies? Scary movies, anybody? Anybody likes scary movies? Luke? Luke likes a little bit of pain in the scary movies. Hard work that brings accomplishment, anybody like that? Anybody like to roll up your sleeves and do something hard and a little bit painful, but it brings accomplishment to your soul? Anybody like a good knuckle crack? If you do, come see me. I like a good knuckle crack. It has a little bit of pain, but it brings a little bit of relief too. Anybody like a hot shower, a really hot shower? Right? Yeah, there's a little bit of pain there, but it's good pain. I know this one, Dad. Hard massage. A deep tissue massage. Pain, but, but pleasure at the same time. We know what it's like to experience good pain, don't we? There's good pain when you work out. So I've heard. No, I know what it's like. Good pain when you work out. The pain you feel the next day when you can't get out of bed properly. You can't tie your shoes. But you did it because you want to feel better. You want to be a healthier person. And there's even a phrase that says, no pain, no gain, right? Well, I think you could apply that to the Christian life. That the hard, narrow, difficult path we're on now is a good pain, isn't it? Because it's a proof of life, eternal life. If you experience pain on the, dif- on the difficult, narrow path, I want you to find joy from that. I want you to rejoice in that because our version of hell is right now. Everything gets better for Christians. Everything. The pain and the suffering we experience now is the end of it. Once you and I get to the last door, the last gate, all the pain, all the suffering is behind us forevermore. So you and I need to change our perspective on the narrow, difficult life and not focus too much on the pain, but remember what the pain is proving, that we're really Christ's. And I'm not just talking about general aches and pains. I'm talking about suffering for being a Christian. When you experience that, you are a true child of God and you're awaiting eternal life.
And I think we need to change our perspective on what pain is. But John finishes this, and this is where we're going to end today. He finishes by saying this, We know that we are from God, for the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. John tells us once again there's only two camps, of God through Jesus or of the devil. There's no third path. You're either with Christ or you're with the devil. Those who follow Jesus are clearly on the team of eternal life, and those who don't still belong to the worst father imaginable, the devil himself. If you won't have God as your father, then you'll keep the devil as your father. You just will. There's no third option. You don't get to leave the devil and not have God. You either have the devil or you have God. Isn't that enough reason to give Christ our all? Don't you want God as your father? Don't you want him watching out for you? The one who's almighty and good and gracious to be the one who's looking out for you and watching out for you? And John says we must remember that Jesus came with teaching. He came with salvation so that you and I can be convinced of who he is and we can follow him unto life. Those who are in Jesus are eternally secure with eternal confidence and hope. I hope you are today. I hope you are today. I hope you are eternally secure because you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I hope you have confidence and hope that goes beyond this world because this world is fragile, isn't it? We had to experience death in our family this past week. Death is real. Life is fragile. Death is coming for every single one of us. Don't you want hope beyond death? Don't you want confidence? The last thing John says to us is keep yourselves from idols. If you're thinking correctly, doesn't that make perfect sense? Doesn't that make perfect sense? It sounded like a strange thing when I first read it, going, John, why did you throw that in there as the last thing you would say? Not like Paul, grace and blessings be unto you. You know, Paul, John says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Let's, let's close it now. Why, John? Why? Because I think it goes perfectly with what he's been saying to us. It's exactly the message John has been teaching us the entire time. Jesus is the eternal treasure. Following him will bless us forevermore. But abandoning Jesus for idols will undo everything John has taught us. All the confidence will go away if you abandon Jesus Christ for idols. Idolatry, though, I mean, is that something we really struggle with today? I don't bow. I've never bowed down to a statue. I've never thanked a statue, something I made with my hands. Thank you, God, for bringing me to this place. Thank you for all that you do. I've never done anything like that. So does it mean there's no idolatry today? Does idolatry not exist today? I think it does. I just think it's more subtle. I think the devil has honed his skills, honed his art of deception, because we give our love, our primary chief love, to money sometimes, or sports, or TV, or smartphones, or relationships, possessions, ourself. Do you see the slippery path we can get on when anything moves in and Christ has to move out? Idolatry is all over us, all around us today. And John says to us, 
Keep yourselves from idols. So very quickly, we're going to look at the final test. The final five things I want you to think about today before we're done. The ultimate question is this. Are you a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? Can you pass the tests of validation to say, I'm not perfect, I still am a work in progress, but I see the evidences of God's grace upon my life. If not, you need to turn to Jesus today. You need to stop putting it off. You need to stop saying someday or one day or I'll really buckle down after you need to turn to Jesus while there is time to do so because time is waning. It's brief. Once it's over, it's over for good. Are you a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? That's question number one. Number two that we see here in the text, do you pray for repentance of sin in your life and repentance of sin of those you love? Don't just pray they avoid the penalty of their sinful lifestyle. Pray that they're saved from their sinful lifestyle. And start to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray that for yourself if you need it. Sin must die every single day. Number three, what do you practice? What do you practice? Sin or righteousness? Because John has taught us what we practice is what we are. Our deeds reveal our heart. What you do is what you are. Now that doesn't mean you can't slip along the way. I don't want to give anyone a license to slip, but you can slip along the way and still be righteous. But the question is, what do you practice? Question number four. Are you allowed to get away with sin? Or do you see God's discipline? Does God chastise you? Does he chide you for your sin? Does he reveal it to you and say, you cannot do this any longer? This is evil. Number five, are you keeping yourself from idols and the things that would pull your devotion away from the Lord Jesus Christ? Because idols are fun, right? Some of them, the ones I mentioned, some of them are fun. Idols are just fun. But when you need a savior and an advocate at judgment day, the idols will abandon you. Just like Baal abandoned those at the altar who tried to call down fire from heaven. Where was he? He abandoned them. Everyone who <laughs> bowed and worshipped to Baal, Baal was nowhere to be found. And neither will our idols if we're trusting in those things instead of Christ in the last day. So I want to skip the application questions because they really go along lines with that. But I want to ask you these last things before I pray. Is, are you more confident after having studied First John? I hope you are. That has been the goal. I hope I've put that forward, how much we need confidence and how, confidence, how much confidence is available to us. So are you more confident? Number two, is Jesus Christ your Savior? Is he your eternal confidence? You don't get lumped in just because you come to church. Christ has to be your Savior. Number three, are you ready to love others because of all the love you've received from God? I hope you are. We've been loved to love. And that's all throughout Scripture. And lastly, since Jesus is eternal life, isn't he worthy to have you follow and obey him with your entire life? Didn't we sing about that? Isn't Jesus worthy? Isn't he worthy? Amen. 
If there was no heaven, if there was no other reason, simply for the fact that he spared you from death, isn't Jesus worthy? He spilled his blood for your sake and for my sake. He is worthy. Follow and trust and love him today. And once you do, you'll pass every single test, including judgment day. You'll be confident. You'll be ready to meet the Lord. Forget what others are doing around you. Devote yourself to Christ. We're uh, short on time, but I'm going to do it anyways. We're going to take a risk. We're going to play a little video. It's three minutes long. It's not going to break anybody's day. I want you to listen to the words of this song, and I want you to reflect on 1 John, okay? And after the song is done, I'm simply going to come up and pray. Can we just reflect on the words of the song quickly? Father, thank you for the study in 1 John. Thank you for what you've taught us. Thank you for the confidence that you want us to have in your Son. And thank you 
for Jesus. Thank you that we have life and we can have life in him today. I pray for those souls here. You'd mature us and bring us forward if we are yours and if we're not, Father. I pray that you do the work within the soul and reveal to those the need for Jesus Christ. Thank you that he shed his blood on our account and we give him all the praise and you all the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.